Do you believe there's more important things than the vote? It's important, but it's not as anywhere near as important as when we look at things from God's perspective. We want to look at this from the perspective of Jesus. Mark chapter 1. And I'm going to start just reading two verses. Your Bibles are open. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'd be glad to put one in your hand. It should be marked already with Mark chapter 1. I see that hand. Mark chapter 1. Now, starting with verse 14. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would anoint the teaching of your word, that you would clear any distraction. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray that your power would come forth from your word. There's more power in your word than all the nuclear bombs on earth. We pray, Lord, that you would ignite every heart here, that we are hearing directly from the Holy Spirit, not from the wisdom of man. We've heard a lot of that this year. But that we would hear from you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Notice what Jesus said as he announced his public ministry and gives his first words to the world. Notice what he did not say. He did not say, listen up, I'm going to fix all the injustices. Now, John, we just read verse 14, John, his very own relative uh, through Mary, had just been unjustly imprisoned and would ultimately be killed and beheaded by Herod Antipas, who was a Roman ruler over the Galilean region. Jesus did not say this. He didn't say, listen up. I have come to clean up or to judge and clean up the filth of the Roman government, its corrupt senate, its pagan practices. He didn't say, Listen up, everyone, I've come to judge and fix and clean up the hypocritical and political and religious leaders of Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee. His words were not, I have come to fix them. Did you hear that? Jesus did not say, I have come to fix all of those guys or the system. He didn't say that. No, the first words were personal, weren't they? He was speaking directly to every heart. He was saying, I've come to save you and me. Every person needs to turn. Every person needs to self-examine. I don't know if you've been on social media, but we have people examining every inch of everything in America right now. But are they examining themselves? For God so loved the world, yes, all of the world, geographically, 
nations, all of that, true. But every world is really every soul, every individual soul in the world. When you saw that video, those were individuals to God, not, oh, that's Pakistan, right? He sees the individual person. The gospel that Jesus brought could, without question, transform a nation. Would you agree with that? The gospel can transform a nation, and it has transformed nations in history. Fiji is a great example of that. But it had to be believed on and responded individually by each person on their own. A governor can't say, hey, we've all repented because I say we've repented. No. People have to individually do this. Jesus came for people, not for parties, not for platforms, not for government even though someday the government will rest on his shoulders. Amen? Understand for a moment the world in which Jesus came to. Take ourselves back 2,000 years ago. When he arrives on this scene, and his first words are repent, believe the gospel. Understand the world he came to. The Romans were in power, the most powerful nation on the planet at that time, and, and many would argue the most powerful nation that's ever ruled the earth. There's debate, but they're certainly in the top five. They built riches based on war, theft, and acquisition. They adored pleasure. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, they adored pleasure. Slavery was the norm in the Roman Empire, as it was for the thousands of years before the Roman Empire. They didn't have any problem with that. Mass executions were imposed when Rome felt it needed to make a statement. Can you imagine living under that? If they felt they needed to make a statement in a region that was not cooperating, mass executions. Just line people up on crosses. And this was by sophisticated people, supposedly. Right? Because the Romans were supposedly sophisticated. Well, idolatry and sin was rampant. The upper classes of Rome felt they were superior to other people. The upper classes. The Jewish leaders, despite their outward religiosity, they weren't any better. Jesus spoke to them too. In fact, it was because Rome and Jerusalem could agree on one thing, that they crucified Jesus. And ultimately kill him. Not crucify him in the media, with the press. No, literally Torture and crucify him, literally crucify him. You know, we use this term today. I get so tired when people say, uh, so-and-so was crucified. Would we stop saying that as a term? Until you see a real crucifixion, we ought not apply such a massive term to such silly, trivial things at times. No one in this room has been crucified because of gossip or something like that. But before Jesus went to the cross, and although thousands were healed by him, And many personally repented, which is great. And they believed on him as their Lord and Savior. The vast majority rejected him and rejected his kingdom because they saw this temporary life as far more important than the eternal life that he spoke of. Do you realize this? Yeah, a lot of people were healed. Many believed on him, but the vast majority said, thanks, but no thanks. They wanted this world. 
not his kingdom. Ladies and gentlemen, it's always dangerous when we value this life more than the life to come. It's for us too. Jesus, whatever seeks to save this life, is going to lose it. This temporal life. But he who's willing to give it up is going to gain it. That's why our persecuted brothers and sisters are willing to die because they really believe that eternity, which never ends, is a lot bigger deal than the one dot of life on this earth. But the people Jesus encountered in his time, they wanted someone to fix the earthly governments so they could enjoy life to the fullest as they thought those in power were doing. Because they're like, well, the Roman Senate's enjoying everything, and the Jewish leaders, they're enjoying everything. Why can't we have a piece of that pie? And Jesus, if you would fix all this, we would all be able to relax. We'd all be able to kick back and chill out forever. Not much has changed in 2,000 years, right? Turn with me briefly to John 6.15. You may not love this teaching today, but you'll know it came from the Bible. That's, that's all I can tell you. Turn to John 6, 15. And I hope you'll come back, but uh, that's, up to, that's up to you and the Lord. Because he loves you and so do I. John 6, 15. John 6, 15. Now, Jesus had just fed 5,000 plus, more like 15,000 people with a couple of fish and loaves. He had just done this. Look at the response of the people, verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him their king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. They were like, whoa, this, we need this guy as king. Taking notes, I've titled our time in the Word this morning, Exemplified, Thy Kingdom Come. It's the citizenship of the believer. The world had never seen, the reason why they wanted to make Jesus king, all these people, they'd just been fed. Can you imagine? Yeah, we're having a chili cook-off after this service. A lot of people had to work hard for all the chili that'll be out there. Jesus just comes up, says, all right, 15,000, done. Feeds everybody. Multiplies it. He could speak the universe in existence, not a problem from him. The world had never seen, nor will ever see again, a man like Jesus. The world has never, nor ever will. Well, it will the second coming, right? But until he comes back, the world will never see another man like Jesus had never seen. The scriptures say he spoke with authority. The emphasis of the scriptures saying is everyone that heard him knew he had authority. They immediately, he didn't have any kind of Bars on his arms like a general or anything. He would walk in a room, and when he would speak, people were like, more than E.F. Hutton, right? Everyone would say, anyone that heard him spoke said, he has authority. Where does he get it? Rulers saw it. Leaders saw it. Priests saw it. Captains saw it. Centurions saw it. The people saw it. When they heard him speak, they had a sense that he had authority, even if they couldn't sense why he had authority. The, the thing was, the creator of the universe, the one who sits on the throne of heaven, was in their midst. 
They saw him answer the thoughts of people. Like right now, you're all thinking something. I have no idea what you're thinking. I'm not near as gifted as the televangelist that know, know your thoughts. I have no idea what you're thinking. That's be, I want God to be able to speak to you, but I don't know what you're thinking. But Jesus knew what people were thinking. You ever seen it said, and he perceived their thoughts and said, he read their thoughts. He did miracle after miracle after miracle in the presence of thousands. Political leaders, well, they could make laws to help sick people, but Jesus would come along and say, rise and walk. Not a law. He just said, empty the hospital. Political leaders, they can make laws about death and inheritance, but Jesus could raise the dead. And he did it on more than one, not just Lazarus, he did it several times before he raised himself. So many thought hereafter he'd fed thousands with just a couple of loaves. Man, if he can do all this with a couple of loaves, imagine if he has the whole treasury at his disposal. The government, he'll clean it all up. Many thought if we can make him our king, imagine what he can do for us. And Jesus walked away at that notion. They didn't want him as king of their hearts. It said he didn't commit himself to everyone because he knew it was in the heart of man. They didn't want him as king of their hearts. They wanted him to improve their lives. Many people voting, they just want their life improved. They don't want God to come in and take charge. The same is true today. If most in America, most of America, even within the church, really wanted Christ as king of their hearts, do you really think that we'd have the two candidates we have? Seriously. If this nation really wanted Christ as king, we, this would not be our two candidates. I know there's two others, but they're not going to play much of a role. But The French political philosopher Alexis de Tocqueville said, in a democracy we get the government we deserve. If you're under a monarchy... You don't have a choice, but if you're under democracy, you, you get to vote with your heart, and people do that over time. Spiritually speaking, people will ultimately vote leaders that reflect our own heart. But that's what we have. God's saying, no, this is not them. This is you. When some of the most vulgar musical acts and entertainers are the headliners for campaigns, we can see we don't want the kingdom of God. When churches have 20 times the turnout for basketball leagues and prayer meetings, we don't want the kingdom of God. It's pretty obvious. When America, when a, when a phrase like make America great resonates more than God be merciful to us as sinners, it's true that we don't want the kingdom of God. I mean, we can say it intellectually, but God looks at the heart level. I'm not here speaking about politics. That's for politicians. I'm speaking as a pastor, and I'm only sharing what the Bible says. What the Bible says about these things. What Jesus wants us to know. Now, I live in the real world just like you do. You've had all the water cooler discussions. The ones you didn't want to have, you've had, right? You've had the Facebook post that you wish you didn't get. You've had this. You've had that. You've had everything on the radio. People are set up. I can't wait till this is over, all this stuff. But guess what? When it's over, America will still be in the same pot that it currently is, right? With the heat being turned up by God alone, saying, what's going to happen? What are you guys going to do? Are you going to turn or not? We'll still be there. 
we are, you know, we do have, like I said, uh, I live in the real world just like you do. Uh, I see the issues that we have, and there are some. I want to draw your attention to all that you've seen going on in the news, this campaign. Some of the things I put up on the screen here are actual things that are issues directly with the candidates themselves. Some of them are issues that have been exposed and Band-Aids ripped off of issues that will have just been blowing up all over the place, right? All these things you see up here. Now, the biggest one that I would change is the word ego. The Bible doesn't have that word. It has this one right there, which is the biggest issue. Both the candidates running for office are two very prideful people. I'm not saying that because, you know, I'm trying to put them down. I'm not saying that to disparage them. We should be praying for them. But, but America's a prideful nation, so it makes sense that we'd have prideful people because there's a lot of pride in our own country. I, I told you guys before, it blew my mind that after 9-11, the most popular bumper sticker on cars was the power of pride. It should have been the power of humility, right? But it told me then, I was like, we don't even know what we're saying when we say the things that we say. But all of, these things are, all of these things are issues. Now, when it comes to the way you think about, well, how am I supposed to use the citizenship God's given me? I didn't choose to be an American, did any of you? Well, some of you did. Some of you, we've got people in this church that aren't from the United States originally. We love that you have come here. We are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and many of you in this church have come from other nations. But I didn't. I was born in Annapolis, Maryland. I, had, I didn't say, hey, God, uh, make sure I'm born in the United States because uh, I don't want to be born in China, and uh, it's pretty rough over in other parts, and I don't want to be born in a third-world country, so make sure I'm born in the United States. Is that okay? I didn't choose. I was born here just like you. I didn't have any choice in the matter. What I did have a choice in was say yes to Jesus. Once I said yes to him, then we have the opportunity to be used by him in the culture. And not just in this culture. We went to Guatemala. We're going to El Salvador. We're, go- we, we're trying to reach the uttermost parts of the world. Paul wrote in Philippians 2.15, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as Lights in this world. You know, Paul wrote then that things were crooked. That hasn't changed. But Paul said, you guys have to be the light in a crooked world. In a world that's full of, you know, bigotry. In a world that's full of all kinds of issues and lust and greed and adultery and all these things. By the way, this, the leaders of the world have always been doing this stuff. Have you read the Bible? The kings of Israel were really bad dudes, most of them. I mean, there was a couple of, there was a few good ones, but most of them, power went to their head. And when power goes to people's head, you say, well, if I had that kind of power, I'd be really good. Really? Possible. Only if you really, really love Jesus. Even David loved the Lord, and he got off track. So, I mean, these, these issues, and they are important, all of them. Some are more important than others. If we, if we have the wrong leaders someday, I may not be able to preach. I get that. I knew that when I left the business world four years ago, that that day could come. It's not a fun thing, not a fun thing for me to think about. So when I vote, I'm not just, I, I want to vote for other people first, and we'll get to that. But I also, in the back of my mind, think, what, Lord, you know, this is important stuff. But he says there's more important things than that. 
See, God will someday judge all these issues. Do you agree with He's Someday Jesus is going to make everything right. But right now, he says, judge yourselves lest you be judged. So the first and foremost, don't be looking like this. Start with ourselves. Now, this was written back in August by Pastor Michael Anthony. He's a pastor up in Pennsylvania. And he wrote this. Um, he said, can we please stop the insanity? We're praying for the wrong people. The problem with our view of revival is we think it's exactly what everyone else needs. We're getting Second Chronicles 7.14 all wrong. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their, forgive their sin and heal their land. But he said, it's, it's, it's us first, he said. It's not them. This most popular verse... This is the most popular verse cited, he goes on to say, uh, when the topic of revival stirs. He says, it's not a call for intercession. It's a plea for humility and real repentance among God's people. We American Christians have yet to begun to humble ourselves and repent the way we must if we hope to see things turn around. The biggest threat to America is not an EMP, which is an electromagnetic pulse bomb. It's unrepentant, arrogant Christians. Before you dismiss this, consider that our arrogance is far more subtle than we realize. The root problem in America is not out there. It's within the walls of our churches. The control, the gossip, hypocrisy, lack of love for God, and people has become so commonplace, so normal, that we finally succumbed. We're okay with it now, but God isn't. That's what he wrote. If we are really honest, we have to admit that the leaders we're getting look exactly like us as a, as a people. Now, I want to say this because I want to transition to our citizenship in just a minute because that's really what matters uh, for us. If you're planning on using the freedom you have to vote, which I think is a good thing, I, I, I vote every time I have the opportunity because I want to be as much salt and light as I can. And I want to be salt and light. We only, we only vote like twice a year, right? The other days are just as important as being salt and light as the voting days. Matter of fact, I would argue that they're more important because if you're doing the other things, you're impacting people all the time with salt and light. But in a voting booth, it's just me and a curtain, right? So I, there's, there's some impact I'm having, but it's a lot less than me touching people's lives. But it's important that we have salt and light in our thinking, that we're thinking biblically, that we're thinking the way Jesus would, and Jesus was always thinking about others. And although I could make an argument that everything on this list impacts others, I believe there is an others issue that's the most important as we think of things in the contemporary culture that we live in, not that someone else lived in, that we live in right now. And I think that one I'm going to highlight. I believe the abortion issue is far and away the biggest one as an others issue. They're all important. I don't minimize any of them. But understand that Israel, if, I'm going to read you a couple of verses. You can jot these down. In um, Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 25, this is what, this is what the prophet Jeremiah uh, was conveying. They built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and daughters to pass through the fire of Molech. Listen to what God says. Which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination. God is saying... I knew Israel was going to get off the rails because I told Moses that way back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, that even when they begin to become rich and have a lot of money, they would start to love themselves, they would start to love their idols. But he said, I really 
knew that they'd gone even farther off the deep end when they started killing the babies. That's what he's saying. Jeremiah chapter 32, 25. When they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fires, which I did not, nor, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind. In Ezekiel chapter 16, 21, it says, You have slain, listen to what God says, my children. In other words, God says every person really belongs to him. He said, you've slain my children and offered them up, causing them to pass through the fire. You say, well, that was just an idolatrous practice. That's true, but he mentions idolatry on its own. This he's talking about infanticide. Do you realize that when the two, two prominent Old Testament, New Testament uh, deliverers came on the scene, infanticide accompanied both? Moses, Herod said, throw all the baby boys into the Nile. Jesus, Herod says, kill all the ones under two. We have a pattern, don't we? We have a pattern of Satan loves this. When a society becomes evil enough that it says, I couldn't care less, these need to go. Both delivers, Old Testament, New Testament, accompanied by infanticide. Jesus, well, when he was in the belly of his mother, Mary comes and visits Elizabeth. It says that John the Baptist leaps inside the womb. How in the world is that? Is that a fetus we're talking about? No. John the Baptist leaps inside the womb at the presence of Jesus, and Jesus is still inside of Mary's womb. I don't know how people defending this can defend it in the court of God. You can defend this on social media all you want. But you can't defend it in the face of God. The Bible says in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you as a prophet of the nations. Do you know God knew I was going to be a pastor before I was born? No one had that. I love my mom, but she didn't have the right to take my life. And she would tell you the same thing. Again, all these things are important, but there is a straw that breaks camel's backs in history. And God, the blood of the innocents, cried out to God. We see it in the book of Ezekiel. He said, I will not tolerate this anymore. I put up with some things, but there's a line in the sand that God will make. He had a, Jesus had a special anger for those that harmed little ones. He said it would be better that you tie a millstone around their neck. You notice he didn't say at the end of the judgment. He said, like, immediately. He said, a millstone into the water. There is no lakes in heaven. Right? He was saying that Currently, those that would harm little ones, now I know that was about a doctrinal thing causing them to not believe, but I can guarantee he cared about little babies too because the whole, the whole counsel of God speaks of it. How dare we tell God when life begins? 99% of the time when we're saying that, it's because people have disobeyed God with their own choices and they don't like the consequences. I understand. It's not fun when you get consequences. Oh, now we've got to care for a little one. That's not easy. It costs money. But you can't say, well, I'm just going to end the life. You might have to put off college for two years. You might have to work two jobs. But you can't say, well, I'm just going to take the life. That's, that's our pride and idolatry has gotten in the way, right? Well, what about me time? Right? By far, and by the way, this is both for men and women, I, I, my heart goes out to single moms because usually they are taking the brunt of the effort. They are working really hard to make it work, and these men have just skated off into nowhere, right? Drives me nuts. How about you? 
That was free material there, too. So. <laughs> Wasn't in my notes or anything. By far, the group of people, and there's a lot of vulnerable people that need our help as Christians, but by far the most vulnerable people in our country are the help, and the most helpless are the unborn. We've had more than 50 million people killed, uh, babies killed since Roe v. Wade, more than all the U.S. wars combined. By the way, those are all teen helpers. They're not, like, walking out on me, by the way. So, <laughs> If it is, we've lost the younger generation, so... Including my own daughters, so. <laughs> but these, are, these little ones are truly the voiceless and the defenseless. C- can I speak to your heart on this? I- I'm not minimizing all the other stuff that's out there. It's all, Im- it's all important. I- I- I'm as informed, I think, as just about anybody on, on, on all the stuff, and, and I get it. But the voiceless and defenseless. Jesus, understand the heart of Jesus, he always gravitated to those with the lowest place in society. He never went to the rich and famous. They had to come to him. They had to come find him. He did not go to them because he knew how hard their hearts usually were. He said it was harder for a rich person to get into heaven than a camel to pass the eye of a needle. He didn't, Herod hadn't met him until the day that he was crucified, even though he said he wanted to see one of his fancy little miracles. Jesus went to the defenseless people. He went to the voiceless he went to the lowest low, and in our society today, the most voiceless is the unborn. Among others that are voiceless, there are others that, and I care about all those, but the most voiceless is the unborn, which some people like to call a fetus. By the way, no one ever says, I've never heard in contemporary conversation, I've never heard say, wow, that fetus was really active after I ate Chinese food. You ever hear a mom say that? I never hear it. I never say, oh, come feel my fetus kick. <laughs> I've been made uncomfortable. People say, put your hand in. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not. My wife can do that. I, I'm not, t- you know, oh, the feet. I've never had the fetus is kicking. I've always heard people say, the baby's kicking. Because the natural instinct knows this is a baby. This newfangled word, which, by the way, Nazi Germany, one of the things that they did to get people to participate in some of the most horrific things was to change the names of things. Just change the name of it, and it becomes acceptable. Don't call it adultery. Call it an affair. But they did worse. They, that's how they made Jewish people subhuman, was just change the names. Some, some uh, slave owners did the same things with slavery and stuff. Just change the nomenclature, and then people will digest it just fine. It's, it's evil. Satan's been twisting words forever. This un- these unborn, though, more than anyone else, they need our prayers, they need our help, they need our protection, and when possible, they need our votes. The thousands that are killed each year, they're black babies, they're white babies, they're Hispanic babies, they're from poor families, they're from middle-class families, they're even from rich families, even rich families have had abortions. So why would they? Convenience. Or it could be, we don't need this. We don't need this messing up the family name. None of the victims have a choice, though. You can go in our society, you can go from being homeless, and I've seen plenty of stories. You can go from being homeless to owning and running a business someday. Many have done it. There are many groups and organizations that will help you if you're homeless. Yes, there's racism in this country. There's prejudice in this country. But yet in this nation, you can still, 
even in spite of all that, you can become a CEO. You can become the head coach of a professional team. You can become the president of a university. You can become a mayor. You can become a governor. You can become a Supreme Court judge. You can even become president of the United States. In spite of all the things, you can be physically handicapped in this country, and there are many programs and people that will help you. True? You can be addicted to drugs, and you can decide, I finally want to live. And there are many organizations, including religious organizations and churches and government programs that will assist you to living. But if you're an unborn baby, you can't choose to live. Just like I didn't choose to be born in Annapolis, Maryland, you can't choose to live. Someone else makes that choice for you. My wife, here today, her mom did ponder that choice when she was 18 years old or so. Thankfully, she, God spoke to her and said, don't do that, or I wouldn't be married to her today. And by the way, if you hear anyone defend late-term abortion, oh, my goodness. What an utterly vile and heartless thing, straight out of Nazi Germany. As a, and, and when you hear it as a means to protect the health of mothers, this is, they're either completely misformed about modern medicine or, utter, or just completely lying. Talk to any, if you don't believe me, talk to any labor and delivery nurse Go talk to any OBGYN, talk to doctors, say, is that the means that we do if, you know, if mom's like, they say, no, we immediately do an emergency C-section. Immediately. Matter of fact, because if they have to to go through a late-term abortion, they actually literally have to give birth, although it's really dangerous to do that, far more dangerous than the emergency C-section. And so doctors, they know the truth on this. Numbers that were cited by the Heritage Health Report, the uh, the writer was Sarah Torre, uh, she writes, during the 2013-2014 reporting year alone, Planned Parenthood offices and affiliates, or no, affiliates, Planned Parenthood affiliates performed over 327,000 abortions while the national organization reported, this is what Planned Parenthood made in profit, $127 million in revenue over expenses. $127 million in revenue. Folks, we don't have any revenue at Calvary Chapel Richmond. Comes in and goes straight back out to the rest of the world. And, and it goes on to say they hold $1.4 billion in assets, yet the organization affiliates receive over a half a billion, that's $500 million, government dollars every year from fa- federal and state resources. That's your tax dollars, my tax dollars. First of all, understand that thousands of Americans are actually waiting on adoption lists to adopt babies. They can't even adopt because it's hard to find uh, a U.S. baby to adopt. You've got to be on a long list. It's very expensive. Then you have to go to the more expensive route of adopting kids from around the world, which is good. I'm glad Americans adopt kids from around the world. Some of our own folks at CCR have done that. But can you imagine how many families could be helped with $500 billion in adoption help money? And your employer says, hey, we'll give you 5,000 towards. Oh, it's 50,000. We'll give you five. You come up with the other 45,000 and get on the waiting list. Meanwhile, Planned Parenthood's making $127 million a year, $1.4 billion in assets, $500 billion a year coming in, and you realize how many families, if you gave me charge of the $500 billion, I would personally help lots of families adopt. We'll pay the $50,000 for you and still have millions and millions, and $500 billion is a huge number of zeros. Do you realize God looks at this and sees it for what it is? 
it's not only wickedness because of convenience and everything. This is a money machine. Really bad. Now, I want to close on a couple of things here this morning. Those things are all important. But thankfully, and one other thing I would say about the unborn babies. Here's what's really cool. What man does, God turns all things for good. Do you realize those 50 million babies are in heaven with Jesus? Do you realize that some of the people who boarded them, sadly, will not be joining them? Because they'll stay hard. Now, I pray that they get saved. I pray every abortion doctor, I pray uh, every mom that has, an abortion, has had an abortion, she can be fully healed and not bear that guilt the rest. Because God doesn't want you to live in that guilt. If you've ever even had one, he wants to set you free from it, and you would live with the knowledge that Jesus has forgiven you. Everyone here can be forgiven of anything. Isn't that great to know? But... Those 50 million didn't get a choice to say yes or no to Jesus. So J- David said, I cannot go to my own. His, his baby died. David said, I cannot go to him. All right, he cannot come to me, but I can go to him. And so I know that those babies were before the age of accountability, and I know that they're up there with Jesus, and you'll get to meet them someday if you're saved. So that's a good thing that God takes the wickedness that man does, and he actually turns it into something good. So thankfully, God loves them, even though we have not. But we have to understand in this day and age, what are our biggest issues? What are our biggest issues? Not just, it's, it, again, this is way more important than the actual voting thing. Number one, in the church, one of the problems we have is we have other gods more than God. Right? That's a big problem. Many people, the first commandment is, you shall not have any other gods before me. This is the big one. We have a lot of other gods and we've got to look at our lives and say, what is the most important thing in my life? Only you can make that assessment. Number two, we have fear over faith and love. We have Christians that are more worried about prepping than sending the gospel out. Right? What if the water supply? What if this? What if that? Did you see the disciples running around worried about this? No. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have any problem. I use deadbolts on my doors. But if I told you, hey, I'm not going to be a pastor anymore because i got to start really getting ready. Ready for what? That EMP bomb. Right? All the scary stuff that's out there. Jesus will take care of us. Pastor Chuck was for years, and people trying to get him all right. He's like, God will take care of it. God will take care of it. And he ended up, There's 2,000 Calvary chapels worldwide because he was focused on the kingdom of God, not this kingdom, not this place. I'm not saying not make good decisions with money and all that stuff, but don't don't be led by fear, led by faith and love for people. Number three, spiritual apathy and lack of commitment. You know, people are so much more excited about other things than the things of the Lord. I was thinking the other day, um, you ever see the old-time pictures of, like, all the men at a New York Giants game, like, in 1920? They all had the hats on, the suits on, right? And they'd be at a, they'd be at a uh, Jack Dempsey fight, and everyone with the top hats and all the full dress and stuff. But you know what's interesting about sporting events back? When, when somebody would go to a Yankee game in, like, 1905, they would just go to the game... And it would be over. Today in America, right now on Sunday, 
at NFL stadiums all across the country, they don't just go to the game. They have to tailgate for hours before the game, then after it, then go home and watch all the commentary by all the ESPN and everything. It takes the entire... So God has said there is an excitement that people have about things that are unimportant, but no excitement for the things that are actually important. And Satan has woven it so people are apathetic about what matters, but have a zeal for what doesn't matter. And then God says, commit to helping advance the kingdom of God. Like, I don't have time. I got a lot. I don't have time for that. I can barely make it to church. Number four, an American over being a disciple. I'm glad I'm an American. We have flag-waving people that love everything about patriotism, and then there's nothing wrong with patriotism. I'm thankful for those of you who served armed forces and all that stuff. But if you're saved, you're a disciple first, an American second. When we were in Guatemala, I felt more connected to my saved brothers and sisters there than people that are in my own country that don't love the Lord. Now, I love them, but I don't have a connection because they're not family I am family with those of you that know the Lord. And some of you I've only known for a short period of time and feel like we've known each other forever. Why? Because we're bonded by the Holy Spirit. We're disciples first. We're Americans second. Which is good because a lot of Americans don't even like each other. Right? <laughs> so it's good to be a disciple first. We have a lot of division in this country where people don't even like each other. I have, by the way, speaking of that, I have tried to, I have, when I was, when I worked for, I worked for a large global company, 13 years. I was in corporate America for 16 years. I have maintained my relationships with people that I work with that are from every ideological spectrum you can think of. And one of the things that I don't do is get into all that and blow up my opportunity to share Jesus with them. Just, I just stay friends with them. Now, they know where I stand on the biblical issues, so they can figure out anything they want to figure out, but they know I love them personally. Disciple first, American second. Last, spiritual blindness. A lot of times in the body of Christ, people aren't even aware that they're not following the Lord anymore. Completely unaware. Because they listen to, oh, well, I listen to Christian radio on the way to work. So I must be following Jesus, right? No. Jesus wrote the letter to the churches to seven churches in, in the book of Revelation, because none of, he wanted them to do their own spiritual inventory, right? They had to test where they were really at. So that's the biggest issues that we have in the church. This same uh, pastor, Michael Anthony, he goes on to say, he said, it's not just that our behavior is the issue, it's that we're okay with our behavior. We don't see any need for change. We only see the need to maintain. Today's radical is the Bible's presentation of basic faith. Did you hear that? He says, today's radical is the Bible's presentation of basic faith. We no longer understand the total denial of self is what it means to have basic faith. That's not radical faith in the Bible. Our problem is that we don't even realize that we've, what we've done or what we're doing. God, whoever does, and it grieves him. Still, it doesn't grieve us because the best we do is we keep calling for intercession for America when really it's in the church. It's in the church. And lastly, you know, we need the revival here, not just out there, not just out there. If you're taking notes, I'll just roll through these quickly because I'm out of time. But I want you to, I want you to, you know, 
understand that our citizenship is in Christ. Jesus came, he said, that his kingdom, Mark chapter 1, the kingdom of God. He preached the kingdom of God. John preached the kingdom of God. I got in prison. Jesus preached the kingdom of God. Many came to know him. He came to deliver his kingdom, not the United States kingdom, not any other kingdom. And there's 10 things that are our call to citizenship. Number one, our first and foremost call is to follow our Savior and King. First commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Jesus said all the laws can't hang on two. We'll get to number two in just a second here. So to follow Jesus, look in your Bibles back at Mark chapter 1, and look when we get to verse 17. We see the first words of Jesus uh, mentioned by Mark or in verse 15. But then in verse 17, it says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me. Stop right there. We'll come back to the ha- latter half of that verse in just a second. First thing Jesus said to those disciples was, follow me. He didn't say, follow Rome. He didn't say, follow Jerusalem. He didn't say, follow you know, the patriarchs. He didn't say, follow Moses, who was a good man. He said, follow me. Love the Lord God, number one. Number two, share his gospel with others. Look at the rest of verse 17. Second words that Mark records of Jesus, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. He didn't say, I'm going to make you changers of the system. He didn't say, I'm going to make you to fix it all up. He said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. If we do this, the other stuff will follow anyway. Amen? That's the most important thing. Do that. Number two, share the gospel with others. Number three, read, study, and think on the word of God. D.L. Moody said, when we have told people how to be saved, the next thing to do is to teach them to feed on the word of God. Folks, we've got to devour the word of God. It's the only thing that will keep us not only in tune with Christ, but sane, right? If you're digesting a lot of Facebook, you will become insane. And Twitter and all that stuff, I mean, it's just, it, it, those things, it's one thing to be informed, it's another thing to be just completely inundated. If you're going to get inundated, get inundated with God's word. That's our citizenship. We've been called. Jesus spoke to Satan with the word of God. He didn't give him the local newspaper. Number three, I mean, number four, pray. Pray individually and pray as the church. I was with a group of pastors, and we were talking about the state of our country, and we were praying for the country, and we were talking about everything. And one pastor, he's been in ministry longer than me, like 30 years. He said, you know, it's amazing. He goes, I have these folks, and you guys, I know, have them too. He spoke to us, the pastor. He goes, they, they're all wringing their hands about the country. They're up in arms. He goes, but none of them show up to the prayer meeting. We have a prayer meeting here. It's one of the lightest ten of things we have. It is. Well, I don't need to go do that. I can just pray on my own. So, all right. So Jesus said, all right, so how much are you praying on? Well, that's not going so well either. Right? But the reality is we're called to do both. We're called to pray individually that the disciples in the early church, they gathered to pray. You cannot just say, well, I just have my own individual prayer time. I don't need to gather other Christians to pray. Well, then you need to go read the Bible. The whole reason Pentecost was poured out on a church that had gathered to pray. In the upper room, they had to gather to pray. You cannot say, well, well, that was then, not now. That's the same then is now. That's the same age of grace. We're called to gather to pray. We're called to pray individually. This is our citizenship. You, people are all, oh, what about my Second Amendment rights? What about this? What about this? What about my citizenship rights? Well, what about your heavenly citizenship? 
None of those other things are actually mentioned in Scripture. Now, I'm not saying that those are wrong. I'm glad that we have the right to bear arms and all that stuff, but I, those, are, those are secondary issues to Jesus. They're not primary issues. These are primary issues to Jesus. If we get the primary issues right, we'll impact the world for Christ. Number five, sit under the teaching of God's Word. Thank you for staying here. I told you you may not like this teaching, but at least you'll know it comes in the Bible. Sit under the Word of God. I sit under the Word of God. I get myself under other men that are more mature in the faith than me, so they challenge my faith to grow. So thank you for doing that. It's something we all need to do, and we need to continue to do it. Number six, worship God in song. You know how many times the psalm says, sing unto the Lord? Start to sing to God. Hey, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not the singing type. Well, then you're going to hate heaven. <laughs> because there's a lot of singing going on there. Okay? Get used to worshiping God with your voice, too. Uh, it feels weird. Well, you've been born again. He said he's put a song on our hearts and our lips. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. I don't sing that good. Then sing by yourself, but start singing to the Lord. The world has nothing to sing about. We do, you know? And the things they sing about aren't good. Number seven, gather and gather get encouraging on it. You know, we just built this fire pit out there. The men built it. We'll have the chili cook-off stuff. We believe in the early church they would gather and break bread together. Nothing like just fellowship and breaking and having meals with each other. That's how families get stronger. But we are a family, just like your family should. If you say, we don't have dinner together ever anymore, fix it. Start having dinner with each other every now and then. But we have to gather and also have fellowship too. It's how we encourage one another. It's how we grow. It's how I find out how good your cooking is too. So it's a good thing. Number eight, serve God by serving others. Everything that Jesus did is about others. Everything is about others. I don't preach for, I preach for basically two reasons. One, because God called me to do it. And two, that hopefully when I stand before God and he judges my time on this earth, he says, you invested in people. That's it. There's not another, there's no, well, if I do it right, I can make a lot of money. One out of three pastors are getting out of the ministry because they can't afford to stay in it, 33%. Don't, the little tiny percentage that you see on TV making millions, they are the exception, not the rule. But you and I should be serving to serve other people in whatever capacity you have in life. And number nine, give generously towards God and others. If God gets, those of when I was in the business world, I used to get a thing called bonuses. I don't see these anymore. <laughs> but some of you still do. And if you see something that's called a bonus, start saying, Lord, the first thing in my mind is what can I do to advance the kingdom of God and the gospel? If the first thing in your mind is new car, better vacation, stuff like you are worldly in your thinking. I'm not saying that those things are, you know, those things are wrong, I, think, I encourage people to take vacations. I encourage them to get out of their norm. But don't make the world's standard your standard. Jesus said, seek ye what? First the kingdom of God. The other stuff will be added unto you. By the way, I do get bonuses in new ways. I had both cars in the shop this week. I got saved $3,100. That could have been a... But both shop, one honored a warranty that was past warranty, and the other one... 
let me pay a deductible on three things that it could have paid three. And as I say, 3,100, it's like sandals in the wilderness, if you will, right? (laughs) So you will get God's blessing if you give generously first to him and him first and other people. I look forward to the day when this church, because we have such generous givers, when we see some single mom that gets saved, we can say, we're helping you big time. Oh, here's a $5 gift card. That's all we can afford to do. I hate that. I want to help people way better than that. And we can do it, but only if we have a giver's heart. Jesus gave. He fed 15,000. Don't you say, well, I wish Jesus would only fed 500 people that day. Wouldn't you rather feed 15,000 than 500? You have to have a generosity. And then the last one, last one, walk humbly and live a peaceable life. Paul said to pray for those who are in authority, even kings and rulers, even if you disagree with their living, you still pray for them anyway. He had Nero to deal with, and he prayed for Nero, that we would live a quiet and peaceable life. But you can't live a peaceable life without being a humble person, because humble people don't create peace anywhere. They create strife. Humble. That, 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 that people, if they know you're from, if you're not humble, don't tell them you go here, please. Tell them you go somewhere. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, well, I'm not even going to invite the worship team up. I'm going to close us in prayer because I, this is what God put on my heart. I hope that you realize that Jesus has given us a citizenship, and it's a way better citizenship. I love that I'm an American. I love the freedoms we have. I like the crazy foods we've invented in this country. But I like the manna that comes down from heaven better. Don't you? Jesus is the manna that came down from heaven. He's the citizenship we represent. When you go vote on Tuesday, if you've got people posing side, love them both. You're not going to fix them. Introduce Jesus, and he will. And for these ten things on this list, pray over them. We st- if you want the list, I'll post this list up on the, on the Facebook site. I will post this list. If you didn't get a chance to write them down, we'll make sure it's posted up there. And you can even direct other people to say, hey, this is a good list to f- invest in as Christians. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the model that Jesus is of coming to save souls. And, Lord, you love the Roman governor- government. You love the Jewish leaders. You love the poor. You love the lepers. You love the... Uh, people that were mired in sin. You love those that, uh, Lord, were rich. You love those that were dirt poor. And Lord, we pray that we would recognize that seeking first your kingdom and bringing your kingdom to others in in the form of the gospel is the highest calling we could have. And Lord, forgive us for falling into the trap of earthly temporal thinking, even American thinking. We ask for your forgiveness and the help of your Holy Spirit to be your lights, your witnesses, and your hands and feet in this world we live in, in this country. We pray for our country that you would open the eyes of all those in darkness, that we don't want to be right. We just want to present Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You are